0: Welcome to the Tri Tech Games Podcast.
1: This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix.
2: This is Trav.
3: This is Amber.
1: Welcome to the Tritech Games Podcast, your podcast of finding out what crazy things can happen when you least expect it. This week, we're doing Winging It. What do you do when things go crazy and things that you ex- weren't expecting to happen happen? And your adventure was not designed for this. And I don't know, Captain, if she can take any more. Blix, what are some other techniques for making it look like you know that you're that you're doing what you're doing?
3: Like casting hollow? <laughs> What's that?
2: It's a private joke with one of my gamers that ruined three months of work that I did. And every time I tried to look and see what would happen, you know, to try to circumvent it, I was like, ah! <laughs> and I, I told Amber before we all got together about that story. So,
3: What are other things you could do? Uh, that's a good cool one, Bruce. I mean, uh, do you have any ideas on this? Because I'm like, I'm drawing a blank.
1: Okay. Well, one technique that I do is, is that I quickly get onto the web and I find a bunch of pictures of locations and I print them out. Okay. And I start holding them up, saying, okay, this is where you're going. And then, and then someone else, he, this happened here. And you show them the picture. And the fact that you have a picture for them to look at immediately diverts their attention. To, it, make, it grounds them, you know, the adventure in that location that they're seeing in front of their face. It increases their similitude immensely. Right, right. You can say, "Okay, guys, I realize this is a picture of you know some castle in England, okay? But for the purpose of this adventure, this is the location we're going to. You know, it's the best representation I could find." Okay, I'm not an artist, you know, Peter. You don't get this out.
3: <laughs> <laughs> this is what I would do if I really wanted to fool the players into thinking I know what I'm doing and I had planned this whole thing ahead of time, and they have no clue. I would go to a, a story or some type of media that I know that they've never followed. Uh, In my case, I'm a big Scott Sigler fan.
1: That's not a type of media.
3: (laughs) Well, it it is. is. I mean, it's audiobooks. But I'm just saying, I can go to one of the storylines, and I could do that storyline exactly the way it happened, and they would never know, because none of them have read anything by Scott.
1: All right. So lifting the plot wholesale from a story that
3: only you have read. Right, that's it's a way to cheat. It's cheating. I hey guilty, but if I did that, if I really wanted to fake them out and make them think I really know what I'm doing, that's one way to do it. You can you can always cheat. You can always pick some story that you've read that you know none of the other guys read. One of my game masters, this guy John, he, he does it all the time. There's been a couple times where you know I thought he'd run some. You know we we always were like, man, John's such a great DM. You know, I'll be watching some B flick. And uh, I would go, oh, my God, that was the adventure we did. He lifted that thing wholesale and never said a thing about it. That's one way to do it. And it's cool. I mean, what the heck? You know, like like I was reading on our, our little uh, thing here. Jay used to always say, uh, there's no plagiarism in RPGing. So, um, you know, at the game table, man, it all's fair. You know, you, you can totally steal any plot line, anything you want. You're not going to get sued by the owner.
2: The adventure with the whole I cast Hallow, I ripped that off from uh The Mummy Returns. It was the villain had an artifact that led her from place to place to pick up these special weapons that could uh, destroy this, this landmark. And so, and this was during my Bureau 13 D20 playtesting, where they went around the world to go after this woman. And that was from The Mummy Returns, and they all knew it, yet I put enough spins and tweaks on the on the scenario where nobody complained I mean they all actively said yes we know what this is from but they still bought into it because I changed it enough with not only other things but also campaign specific stuff where yeah the ride was great until my one player said I cast Halo and that ended three months of play <laughs> it's like and I I had to bring that up in the Skype chat that uh, Jay Haley, our our former fellow podcaster said, because what else he say, just scratch a serial number off. Blix just said that we gamers are such a well-read lot on all things pop culture that we have a large library of stuff to choose from that there's nearly an infinite amount of combinations that you can throw together from TV, movies, books, old radio shows, where you can come up with, you know, an impromptu adventure. I mean, There's uh, like a couple hundred years worth of stuff, just you know, in TV, movies, and radio.
0: Oh, There's two sides of that story. I actually planned an adventure that was based on a I thought was a fairly <laughs> popular movie. Turned out, no one, the two groups I played around for, knew the reference. It's like you've never seen this movie. Hmm. One of the major science fiction movies. You've never seen it. Oh, wow. Okay. What movie was it? Uh, two Million Years of Earth, I believe was. was. Um, ten, ten Million Years of Earth? Ten, no, no. Uh, but it was Queer Mass in the Pit is the actual.
2: Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I saw that it, a couple it's years, it's years back. Five yeah. Million five Million Years, years, years of Earth.
0: Earth. Yeah, five yeah that, that Earth. was it. never
2: yeah. uh, <laughs> heard of that. Oh, okay.
1: see?
0: You got it right there. <laughs> she watch. She watch it. You know, but I'm but I'm thinking there. Actually, I know I know enough old Hammer stuff and old Ray Harryhausen stuff that I could actually probably do a a dang good Bureau thirteen game in the Southwest, uh, based on the Valley of Guanji.
3: If I was gonna do a um, a Bureau thirteen, I mean, I could always rob from any of the old uh, H.P. Lovecraft movies that they've done. You know, with um, oh, what what's that guy's name? Uh, From Beyond or um, – Are you talking about Jeffrey Combs? That's it. Anything with Jeffrey Combs in it, right. Um, And most people – a lot of people – not most people, but a lot of people have not seen those movies. And he did several of those. Several? More like a couple dozen. Right. Well, okay, I was being generous. But I'm just saying like for for a Bureau 13, you could go to those movies and those are – a lot of those are just simply B films that a lot of people haven't seen.
0: The Asylum Pictures current catalog is a great, another great source of cheesy
3: movies. But hmm. let's move on to the second.
1: Well, hold on, hold on. I have two more techniques for selling the idea that you're not actually winging it. But the first idea was, and this does take a little bit of preparation. Take famous actors and actresses and get pictures of them before they were famous. And use them as pictures of your NPCs. And what happens is, is that the people, they don't look like what they're used to. So, uh, And, of course, this doesn't work too well for people like John and me because, you know, we've been around for, for a while. But for new players, they only know everything that happened in the last five years and anything before that, you know, dinosaurs walked the earth. Like Bruce and me. Uh... Yeah.
3: <laughs> or you could do like, pictures of them dressed down. Who right. was it? Cameron Diaz or somebody who was in Being John Malkovich? You would not recognize her because they seriously dressed her down and do a homebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. She looked horrible in
1: that. Right. Charlize Theron in Monster is... is such oh,
3: a- gosh.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: But the point is that you want them to be somewhat recognizable because then, when they see the character, they're like, instantly, in the back of their head, they're like, I recognize this person, but I can't figure out who they are. And again, it it causes them to focus on the character and listen to what you have to say, and it adds credibility to your adventure because they're making a connection with the character and they don't know why. It's a psychological trick, I grant you, but it works. Uh, oh, and the second thing, which is, uh, and I'm and I'm going to refer you guys back to an excellent podcast by Andre Crou.
2: Huh? I was just thinking of that one. Yeah. yeah a props I'm, episode, yes.
1: Right, get anything from your shelf as from another room and bring it in and use it as a prop. Bring it into the adventure. I, I don't really care if it's a broom, okay? Get yourself a can of peas, whatever it takes. Bring something in and hand it to the players. You know, say something about that thing and, and make it part of the adventure so they have something in their hand to, to manipulate and turn around and hand to each other and it causes buy-in. I use cardboard characters. If I go to my
0: collection of cardboard characters, I know I can find a bunch of Nazis in in full regalia
1: going, "Whoo!" Bureau 13 Nazis. They go together. And it's similar with the same idea of the props. Okay, change the lighting in the room. Put on some music. Anything to basically add content to what you're saying and distract the players away from the fact that you're winging it. It makes it seem like this was all planned. One more technique... But this one's hard, it's the hardest one to do, and that's
0: to speak with authority when you're busy winging it.
2: Speak, with authority.
0: Oh, yes. authority. <laughs> authority. <laughs> speak with
1: authority. Oh, Authority. Authority. Speak want.
0: with authority. Let them know that you know what you're doing, even though you just thought of it two seconds ago. <laughs> you should always be doing that as a GM, shouldn't you? Uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I, I listen to enough actual play podcasts. I know there's some people out there I would not want to play with because they sound like they don't know what they're talking about.
1: <laughs> and there's one technique that works a little bit better with female GMs, and that is, is that you can go and change your outfit <laughs> periodically during the night, no. <laughs> during the adventure, especially if you have clothing that's that fits the different lo- uh, locations that the characters may be going to in the, this particular thing.
3: Now, this isn't one of those uh, clothings of extreme revelations or anything, is it? <laughs>
1: this is, again, another distraction but it's also something that makes the players suddenly get more interested in what it is that's going on because something's just changed and they don't know why.
2: I, I'm <laughs> sorry, I would sit there and I'd see that and go oh great, we're being GM'd by Cher on tour. Wonderful.
3: <laughs> <laughs> or Madonna. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Your adventure is heading toward the Middle East. They're going. Oh, she's going to do something in the Middle East. That's when you go back and get a sheet, wrap it around your body, but a little so you get one eye you can see out and come back into the room <laughs> in a burqa. You
1: know. Okay. All right. Well, I'm just saying it's just one more thing causes an interesting session, but at the same time, isn't necessarily directly part of the adventure, which you know allows you to sell the idea that you had this all planned. I mean, who? randomly changes their clothing during an adventure. It's got to mean something. Right. Yeah. Yep. If you're in a cosplay, you can come in as all sorts of anime characters through the night, you know? <laughs> if you're a guy who's really into this kind of thing, more power to you, because my list of costumes is fairly limited in my closet. Sadly, I can't fit
0: into my, some of my earlier costumes I've made. only yeah. I got now is my steampunk outfit that I, I put together recently.
1: Uh-huh. Now, the kiss of death is to dress your kid up in a costume. I try to make your kid part of it because he'll sell you out in a heartbeat.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, Bruce. It sounds like this is from experience. Here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of gamers have things that they've bought at, say, conventions or curio shops or stuff like that. Or go into your collection and hopefully you can find something you haven't you know bragged about or shown them. Bring that thing into the table and set it down or make it a prop in the game. In my case, one of the things I could do is, I'm a government contractor, so I I work on a military base, and I have been coined several times. Most people don't know what coining is, so this works as a really great prop. Uh, Coining is something that several agencies do it, but it's primarily done in the military. I think it started with the military. And when you've done something that's admirable, generally people who are of rank or of some prestigious appointment have coins and they, they hand these coins out. They're sort of like little badges that, kind of like medals, kind of like on the spot medals that you have done something really worthwhile and they give you a coin. So I could drop one of these in the table, you know, and I've got like a two star general coin. I could use that as a prop in some adventure, lead that to like, they, you find this on the body then they gotta figure out, well this guy's, you know, this guy's walking around and, and, and what is this what what is this coin? It's got these things on it and it says, you know, uh, you know, something about the command general and it's got two stars on it. What does this mean? And then they would do the research and you as the game master, being that it, in my case, being that it's my coin, I know exactly where it came from. You know, I would say, well, you do some research and you find out that um, it comes from it's uh, a general stationed at Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Oh, well, that's our clue. You know, if you had it on them, then it must mean something. You know what I mean? So that's something you can just come out of nowhere with. That could generate a whole adventure right there. And it would seem like I'm totally
0: prepared. I used to buy a lot of uh, artwork at science fiction conventions. And I had these two little beautiful little photographs and little, you know, they're set in nice little brass frames and it's... It's a picture of two aliens dressed up in nineteen in eighteen nineties clothing, like you know, like the proper pair of citizens in in, in Victorian Earth. But they're aliens, they're grays
3: mm-hmm. Right. You know,
0: you know, see, so I'm out there going, wait a sec, what what? Right. You see this uh, you see this on the lady on the lady's uh uh dresser. These are two pictures on her dresser when you when you check out her room.
3: Right. And oh. they're totally out of place. It's like, why would this Midwestern lady have a picture of aliens on her dresser. It's like it's totally out of place, and they're dressed in the in, in clothing appropriate for eight for the eighteen nineties. Right. So it's like you know, and and when they look at it, let's say they examine it, and it turns out that the paper and the inks that were used are from the eighteen nineties. So it's like, wait a minute, this isn't just some crazy picture that the woman had bought at some, I don't know, sci-fi store convention or something. This thing is like kind of authentic. They're not drawings.
0: They're photographs. We check them out. They're real photographs. It's real photographic paper you know and it's old and yellow and, and and it looks like it you know if you bend it it'll just shatter
3: and it's not like she has it hidden away she has this on her dresser so it's yeah. it's, it's a very matter of fact kind of thing so then you want to know more about this lady and this family it's like well, wait a minute they have this picture of these aliens and the picture is obviously real she's keeping it in her bedroom so it's kind of a private place but at the same time, you know, it's not some kind of hidden thing. So they must have been kind of personal. So what what does this mean?
0: Yeah, and you can always use the, your bureau training. Oh, well, yeah, you, you recognize them. They're greys. Right. You've seen greys before, both live and, you know, in the freezer. Right.
3: Uh, <laughs> and it's like, why, why did this woman know greys? What, what's up with that? And then that could lead to a whole thing right there.
2: Yeah. I kind of did that. John talked about using artwork from a con oh gosh this con I think it was an art show at one of my local cons here in the Detroit area and it was a picture of basically a street samurai a cyberpunk type mercenary with silvered eyes and this incredibly blood red duster like a leather duster, but it was blood red and at the time the movie it had I believe Lena Olin Romeo is bleeding. If you've ever heard of that movie, like about 20 years ago, I saw the blood red jacket. It was a guy. I came up with the NPC of Romeo blood. He was a street samurai, uh, like a hired assassin. I had my instant NPC villain ready to go. And I pulled out that picture My old gaming group was just like, wow, this is the guy. And it was just due to knowing a movie and seeing the the duster and it all clicked. So, John, yes, I have done that, used uh, artwork from science fiction conventions to get a quick plot device.
1: Another technique for selling it is to, especially when you're using a plot that you've lifted that you're afraid the players may have already known about, and that is to take all the genders and reverse them. Hmm.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: A Han Solo is being played by a wise, cracking female character.
0: You know, in in, in one of the early uh, Ralph McQuarrie drawings he did for, for
3: George Lucas, Luke would have been Lucy. Bruce, you, you could take that to a whole new level. You know, it doesn't just have to be gender trading. If you're playing Fringeworthy, it can be I hate the term race, species, whatever, culture, trading, whatever. Let's say you go to a world where you go to America and it's it's predominantly a black culture and whites are in the minority. You know, and you could completely change things around that way and that could that could be the whole premise of your, you know, or the biggest premise of your adventure. You set it in the the 1940s and let's say most of your player characters are white and they show up in this world and they have showed up in a world where they are the minority in a, in an era where it's okay to discriminate and they have to deal with that. That's just a very impromptu thing. I mean, that could literally be the adventure for the night very easily, just taking that premise and inserting them.
1: It just depends on what your intent is, whether it's just to throw them in there like fish out of water and just see which direction they take, or whether you're trying to push them in the direction of being reformers, or whether you're going to force them to suck it up and take the abuse because you're giving them a nobler cause
3: to support. Maybe there's someone they got to get in contact with that's across the country from where the portal is, and they've just got to suck it up and take it until they get there because the mission is more important than their pride.
1: Right. they got to ride in the boxcars because first
3: class would sell them any tickets. Right, exactly. You can give them a feeling of what it's like to be discriminated against.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking that another way to, to help yourself out is in your scripted port, when you actually have a plan and so forth throw in some aside throw in some little side things so though you speak a strange language uh, who are you you know sort of thing and then he walk off then later on he shows up again and so
2: says, foreshadowing yeah foreshadowing. foreshadowing.
0: yeah you use strange characters in. he may never show up again or you might or you might just turn around and use that same character all over again and make him more sinister or more or something
1: else be careful you don't scare the player characters and they decide to deep six that NPC you just tossed into their group. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, he knows something. We must keep him from revealing our secret.
2: Uh, there was a story I heard from one of my former fellow Kung Fu students when I was taking Kung Fu a few years back. He got to game with, how can I, I'm not going to mention names here, but another Michigan based role playing game designer. Who has his own system. And he ran an adventure previously the year before. And so this new adventure was the sequel to that previous adventure. The villain had gotten away. Well, the villain came back as this little wizened old man who was coming up to the player characters who were now in this new adventure And pointing, going, oh, I know all of your secrets. Oh, I know all of your secrets. I know a secret about you and you and you. And my friend's character, he was playing an assassin. (laughs) And the assassin just looks and says, as a tangent, just out of the blue, I'm going to backstab him. (laughs) I don't like this guy. I'm going to backstab him. Rolls the max crit. I mean, rolled all the damage. Boom, max crit he could do. Killed that old man. That old man was the villain from the previous adventure coming to mess with them. The Michigan-based game designer turned red, got up, left the room for about 10
3: minutes.
2: (laughs) Because he totally just had nothing. My friend Mike just totally nixed the game designer's adventure that he had run. It was supposed to be a tournament game, probably six hours long, and just done
3: hey that's a good segue trav because my next topic was unanticipated event
2: oh yeah that 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 qualified yeah
3: (laughs) so what do you do now so the players basically the this is another time when you have to wing it you've set up an adventure let's say you are a prepared gm and you have prepared this adventure let you may have even spent 10 hours writing some adventure for your players to play on or three months or three months yeah yeah. I, uh, whatever. Thank you, Pip. Yes. <laughs> and one of the players does something that you completely would never expect them to do. And instead of saying, you know, instead of like trying to bulldoze them, you go with it. So I'll, I'll give you an example from one of our games. It was a brand new campaign that the game master was setting up. The concept was we all woke up at a cryo freeze. We didn't really know who we were or what we were supposed to do, but we knew we were on a team together because we all woke up out of this thing together and we kind of had that feeling. And we were given a disc with all the information that we would need to know what we were supposed to do. And that was to set the tone for this entire campaign. And one of the players, we were on a boat, one of the players took this, it 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 wasn't a CD, it was like a chip, took this like a USB drive took this thing, and threw it overboard. Oh. We didn't know why. We At the time, at the time we didn't know why. He was like, well, we're not just going to listen to them. We don't know who they are. That was his excuse. It turned out later, months and months later, he admitted, oh, I just wanted to see how the DM would handle that, how the game master would handle that.
2: <laughs> and, and with therapy, that player learned to walk and chew solid food again. Yeah. <laughs> right.
3: No, it literally derailed – The entire campaign from there on out. That campaign was never run the way it was intended to be. And it wasn't bad. The Game Master handled it. He handled it fine. He handled it brilliantly, actually. We we suffered for it, though. We scrambled the entire campaign and never really knew what the heck was going on until the very end when the Game Master finally just spilled it. And he's like, and you would have known this... Had he not thrown the thing over the side, and this campaign would have gone very differently. But he literally derailed the campaign from the beginning, and it affected us all the way to the end. That's the way it happened. So that that's you know that's the kind of anticipated, unanticipated event that can happen. They kill the wrong person. They destroy some data. They don't go down the alley that everyone else would go down under the same circumstances. Why? Why wouldn't you do that? The clues were all right there. It was very simple. And the players are just like, well, we just didn't see it that way. How do you guys handle that? You know, the the players do something that's completely, I mean, just bonkers. Uh, Trav, it sounds like you had one of those.
2: As I told Amber before we got together for the podcast this evening, I did the the Mummy Returns ripoff, basically. And this one, fortunately, I didn't have anything to handle. I had to wrap up the adventure. There were like three or four more sessions I've learned to take uh, Bruce Sheffer's three ways, three paths to the same destination. Players and GMs, it's not supposed to be adversarial. You're not sitting there looking to outwit the GM. It's just despite everything that we GMs do, players are still going to come up with different stuff. My fault with the whole I cast Hallow campaign is that I was not Savvy enough on the different types of spells that could be used to circumvent the adventure. And the particular player, my friend Carrie, she is adept at playing divine spellcasters, of which Hallow is a clerical spell. So she just pulled that out because that's her her stock and trade in role-playing. She's always the one who plays the cleric, the druid, the favored soul. Uh, in D20 Modern, she'd be playing an acolyte. And that's just what she does. She had a better grasp of the divine spellcasting rules than I did.
3: Hey, uh, Trav, real quick, what, what does that spell? What does it do?
2: Hallow. Basically, it, it's in the player's handbook. It consecrates a site, and it allows like a, a circle of protection against evil and undead are, are harmed there. And basically, it's making holy ground. I think it's like consecrate, turn to eleven, with the the artifact that this villain had, which was like a tiara, that was leading her from place to place around the world. Carrie cast that spell, and this woman could now not enter the area that she had to get to, and the tiara basically consumed the villain. They just waited her out. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna wait an hour, and all of a sudden, yep, I had I had the end the end the adventure saying. You see the woman glow with a purple light and her form gets consumed in the tiara and it drops to the ground.
3: Huh, okay.
2: I had to end the adventure like that because there's no other... If I would have tried to, uh, an, a different out, they would have known I was trying to screw them over and it would have caused a lot of bad blood.
3: Like if you would have pulled it, like a dispel magic or something like that.
2: Well, the thing is, it's like I would have had to, you know, make the character make a spellcraft roll and then figure out, OK, it's this spell and try to do it. I didn't have that option. So, yeah, right, it right. was. But, yeah, I mean, there are certain times that just unexpected events like that every once in a while. You're going to try to, you know, circumvent the players and they're going to know you're you're trying to screw them it's very close to railroading then
3: what i would think is, is a good way to to handle that so that you make them feel like you planned for it so to avoid that you caught me with my pants down kind of thing you actually make them feel stupid for not doing it sooner you're like oh, finally you guys you know
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean so that chad went ah oh i heard words to that effect.
2: <laughs> no, no, I did it, 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 It's like, you know, in Looney Tunes, when you see Daffy Duck, he's about to, he points his finger like he's about to say something, and the finger just falls limp and your mouth is left open. That was me, because I was like, ah, son of
3: a... Hey, at the same time, though, that's as rewarding to players as the other, because...
2: Oh, no, because they realized they found a way to stop the villain before she got anywhere near the end of the quest which basically, I set this up as the big okay, I had D20 modern level magic and they had access themselves to d style magic if this villain would have gotten through d d level magic would have been on the entire world which means their job would have become a lot harder so they, yeah, they stopped the threat just a lot earlier than they supposed to, just with my friend Carrie going, I cast Hallow. Hmm. And to this day, she still gives me this evil grin. I'm like, ah, oh, shut up. You know?
3: <laughs> so it's become your groups. until I got wounded in the knee.
2: Yeah, right, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for joining us for another rousing, unexpected adventure of the TriTag Gains Podcast. We hope that you'll be able to use these ideas to fall back on whenever you're in a situation where you have to improvise. Uh, we hope that uh, we've pointed you at some good resources so that you can prepare yourself for further adventuring of this kind. And we hope that you're in a group where your players are supporting you or you're supporting your GM so that you can all work together to have the most awesome game possible. And we hope you listen, have listened to all of our adventures here at the podcast. And if your podcatcher only catches maybe 10 or 15 of our episodes, Feel free to go back to our pod site, www.tritechsystems.podbean.com and listen to all of our previous adventures, uh, our previous podcasts, where we've talked about gods, alien worlds, dinosaurs, ancient religions, you name it. We're, you know, we're out there. Pirates. You need anything from us? We're on Facebook. We have lots of Facebook groups, uh, fans of the TriTech Games podcast, and we'd love to answer one of your questions. Please go to iTunes and give us a rating. And leave comments there too. Whatever you do, we're here for you. We hope to help to make you wing it and soar high when you do so. And if all else fails, blow something up. But bearing that, we'll be back. Assuming you don't kill us, we'll be back next week. But until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and
0: keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game,
2: hate
3: the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a
2: one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the tri Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucka, you best attribute this to the folks at tri tech Games, and if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers.